Blind Influence by Linda Riesenberg Fissler. Day 1. Washington, D.C. Tony, the voluptuous, brown-eyed, cinnamon-haired beauty, started, I don't understand why you insist on taking me to dinner party after dinner party when you know I'll only insult every Republican within earshot. Nicole Charbonneau was as intelligent as she was beautiful. After leaving a promising career in the Washington, D.C.'s district attorney's office, Nicole had become the star attorney at Rosen, Schaefer, and Pruitt. At this firm, she handled high-profile cases, and her name was recognized throughout the Beltway. A promising future in politics was hers for the asking, if she desired it. There are a number of inns in Washington, the inn crowd, Insiders and inside the Beltway are just some of the ends that indicate part of the envied elite. There are those who are out and relish the thought of being in. They desire to be part of this chosen closed circle. But the word in appears in the word blind. While Nicole Charbonneau's boss, Tony Schaefer, who was lustfully in love with Nicole, thought he was part of the insiders, he really was blind to what was taking shape in his small but powerful circle of friends. As a result of his partnership in the most powerful law firm within the Beltway, his many connections made his law firm the firm to seek out for making those, shall we say, embarrassing indiscretions disappear without publicity. His firm had rescued many politicians lobbyists and corporation chairmen from the kind of publicity that had ruined many an individual's career. If Tony really wanted to be a power broker in D.C., he had enough dirt on those creating the laws of the nation to fashion whatever position he desired. It was a good thing that all Tony wanted was his yacht, his salary to spend the way he wanted, and Nicole. Nicole had an interesting life and never gave a thought to being part of the in-crowd, and in a rather odd way, she shunned the concept of the two factions in Washington. She didn't care if she was in or out, as long as it meant that she had a job and could provide for herself as she had done for most of her life. She had always felt that one had to be blind to be part of any particular group. That was one reason why she had never fancied being part of the crowd or a follower. Her life had been a series of consequences that left her with a series of black and white yes and no decisions made through weighing the outcome of each path. She never could understand how being in or out could even enter into one's thinking process. Unlike Tony, however, Nicole was only partially blind to what was developing around her. Nicole's brown eyes scanned the athletic 60-year-old man sitting next to her. She waited patiently while he formulated his response. Tony's sun-bleached hair against his tan skin gave him a distinguished look. There were times when Nicole could see the damage forming deep creases around his eyes from the extended sailing excursions aboard his yacht. Many women found him very attractive. Maybe it was his money they found attractive. Nicole had to admit that Tony had a wonderful sense of humor and was generally a fun-loving guy. They shared a quality that both envied in others, perseverance, a trait that Nicole witnessed firsthand as Tony relentlessly tried to persuade her to become a Republican. Their relationship was purely platonic. 
Nicole was not interested in someone old enough to be her father, much to Tony's displeasure. He thought he truly loved Nicole, although what he really loved was the power she unknowingly commanded. Nikki, Tony started, fidgeting with his cummerbund of his tuxedo, I've told you time and time again that with your reputation and the right connections, you could enter politics. I'm merely providing you with an opportunity to meet the right people who could provide you with those connections. Nicole studied him further. She didn't deny her interest in politics. She couldn't picture herself as a politician, though. As a matter of fact, the image made her laugh out loud. Me? A politician? She shook her head, still chuckling. My God, Tony, I'd be shot in no time. That's why you have people who... Tony faltered, trying to find the proper word, knowing how Nicole would react to the words that had almost escaped his lips. Handle me? For lack of a better word, yes, Tony answered. I suppose that's where you come in? Only if you switch party and become a Republican, Tony answered with a wink and a wiry smile. Nicole laughed again. Ha <laughs> Tony, there's that sense of humor of yours. Me as a Republican is almost as funny as me being a senator. Think about it. Tony handed the invitation to the driver as the limousine came to a stop at the White House gate. The driver showed the invitation to the guard, who inspected it, then handed it back to the driver. The guard motioned for the gates to be open, and then the limousine moved to the front entrance of the White House. It was a crisp, clear fall evening, with the full moon adding its splendor to a beautifully lit, pristine building. The White House staff had outdone themselves once again. A red carpet had been extended to the driveway to greet the guests. A canopy had been erected to protect the visitors from the falling leaves in the rain, which had been incorrectly forecasted by the weathermen earlier in the day. As the limousine came to a stop, Nicole's door was opened by a Marine in his dress uniform. He offered his white-gloved hand to Nicole, who accepted it, gracefully exiting the car. Her long, bronze evening gown, which shimmered in the light, accentuated her figure with a slit up the side that stopped teasingly at mid-thigh. A teardrop neckline accentuated her bust. Her hair swept away from her face to a cascade of cinnamon curls, which stopped just below the shoulder blades of her naked back. She was stunning, and Tony knew it. He enjoyed the envious looks he received whenever Nicole was on his arm, and he wasn't about to stop enjoying them any time soon. He arrived next to Nicole, offered his arm, and led her inside. The foyer of the White House was brilliantly lit, again setting Nicole's evening gown dancing. Tony and Nicole moved to the reception line. The President and First Lady, along with the Vice President and his wife, were greeting their guests with the typical rhetoric that was bandied about between the two political parties. Nicole glanced around the room and noticed that the guest list was composed predominantly of senators and representatives. She breathed a sigh of relief, deducing that the conversations for the evening would be limited to the current affairs and legislations pending in both houses. When, while Nicole found these conversations interesting, she rarely took part in them. The dinner guests were milling around 
some with drinks, talking about various subjects, their voices echoed in the open foyer, making it impossible to eavesdrop on any of the conversations. As Nicole entered, a number of men's eyes were turned by her beauty. Two men in particular gazed unabashedly at her. Nicole was unaware of this, but Tony wasn't as he quickly moved to the receiving line. President Andrews and his wife made the perfect couple in Nicole's estimation. They looked to her like a Midwestern couple, very plain, very conservative. The president was in the middle of cleaning his wire-rimmed glasses when Tony approached. The Marine Guard waited until the president had finished before announcing them, accepting the engraved invitation from Tony. Nicole took the opportunity to find something she could compliment the First Lady on, noticing first the powder blue chiffon evening gown she was wearing. Nicole didn't care for the outdated dress, so she moved on to the hairdo, which had so much hairspray that a hurricane couldn't blow the bit of wind through it. Nicole sighed. It didn't appear to be an easy evening after all. The Marines started the introduction, but it was not needed. The President and the First Lady knew Tony from previous engagements and from his close friendship with the Vice President. Hello, Tony. The President extended his hand. How are you? Fine, Mr. President. You remember Nicole Charbonneau? Why, yes, of course. The President shook Nicole's hand. Hello, Mr. President. Nicole smiled graciously, not really sure if the President remembered her, and moved to the First Lady. She greeted Mrs. Andrews and complimented her on the evening gown she was wearing. Determining it was the lesser of two evils, she almost couldn't keep from laughing when she heard the this old thing reply. She smiled graciously instead. The vice president and his wife were next for her to greet. While Nicole really had no feelings towards the president, she had a strong dislike for the vice president. Tony! Vice President Mark Stevens greeted the lawyer with a smile and an extended hand. Good to see you. How are you? Tony shook his hand, answering, I'm fine, Mark. You remember? The vice president's eyes followed Tony's hand as Tony gently grasped Nicole's elbow, moving her closer to himself and the vice president. The vice president's eyes were now scanning the rest of Nicole, starting at her hips and lustfully enjoying every voluptuous curve. His eyes reached her face. They were met with a disapproving scowl. Miss Charbonneau? Mark Stevens finished Tony's sentence. He took Nicole's hand in his, holding it with both of his hands. You're hard to forget. Nicole withdrew her hand forcefully. I take it your ears are still ringing, Mr. Vice President? They are indeed still ringing, Miss Charbonneau. Then maybe I am making progress. Progress? The vice president questioned, taken by surprise by what he selfishly thought had been a flirtatious remark. Yes, Mr. Vice President, I now know that what I am saying is getting into your head. The next step is to make sure you process the information. Nicole smiled, satisfied that she had again caught him off guard. Have a good evening, she said to Mrs. Stevens as she turned away from them, walking toward the dining room. I'm sorry, Mark, Tony started. I don't know what gets into her when she's around you. The vice president raised his eyebrows as, lust, as he lustfully watched Nicole walk away. Don't apologize, Tony. He glanced at his wife to ensure that her attention was elsewhere. The chase is the best part, the most fun. Tony was somewhat shocked, although he showed nothing. He merely smiled and excused himself to catch Nicole. He briskly walked through the crowd, 
briefly greeting those he knew. Upon reaching Nicole, Tony was greeted rather rambunctiously by another friend, Norman Sipes. Sipes had a booming voice, a protruding belly, a burr haircut, and a drink in his hand that he certainly didn't need. Sipes was president and CEO of one of the fastest growing oil companies in America. Tony had urged Nicole about two years ago to invest in Sipes's company, as well as in other interests, but Nicole's instinct told her not to do so. She had suspicions that Sipes's success had been gained through illegal scams. By the looks of things, she felt she was right. Tony, you old dog, how do you do it? Sipes called, winking an eye and pointing towards Nicole. Sipes's voice and actions managed to grab the attention of almost everyone in the foyer. He didn't care. He had waited patiently by his estimation to talk to the young beauty, staring at her nonstop since she had entered. Norman, how are you? Tony asked, trying to ignore his friend's atrocious behavior. You never mind that. What did you promise her this time? When Sipes could see he was not going to get an answer from Tony, he decided to use the direct approach. You could tell me, sweetheart, he said to Nicole. I know I can triple what he promised. He clumsily tried to wink alluringly at her. Nicole was about to answer when Tony, knowing her answer would be less than pleasant, interrupted. Norman, he started, turning his friend around with both hands to face the bar. I think you better ask that gentleman for a pot of coffee, or you might not make it into this dinner party either. A few couples within the immediate vicinity laughed at Tony's remarks. In any case, everyone's attention was returning to their own conversations. Tony turned back to Nicole, taking her arm and leading her into the dining room. The room seemed to be an endless sea of white tablecloths, which shrouded the round tables and hung midway to the floor. The high-backed dining room chairs, eight at each table, were pulled back slightly, inviting the guests to be seated. The centerpiece of each table was a pristine single white candle circle in a glass canopy with rings of pastel roses. The guests could see their reflection in both the china and the silverware, which had been meticulously polished and placed. Tony and Nicole scanned the elegantly printed name tags that were suspended in front of the china by silver holders. Finding Nicole's seat, Tony left to get their drinks. Nicole took the opportunity to scan the other names of the people she would be sharing dinner conversations with this night. She was horrified to discover that Norman Sipes was seated next to her. She quickly glanced around the table for a suitable replacement. Senator Robert Jenkins, a Democrat from North Carolina, was seated a few seats away from her. She had always wanted to meet him, and now seemed the perfect opportunity. Cautiously, Nicole switched the name tags, unaware that the other gentleman, who couldn't keep his eyes off her, was watching her even now. She placed the senator's name tag next to her seat. Pleased with herself, she smiled at the deviousness, and then suddenly she heard a voice behind her. I hope this means you wanted to meet me, Senator Jenkins stated in his refined southern drawl that made him so irresistibly charming, a hint of hope in his voice. Nicole jumped at the sound. She turned to face him, feeling her cheeks warm from embarrassment. Senator Jenkins? She blushed even more, having been caught in the act. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to startle you. That's quite all right. 
Nicole decided to quickly change the subject. I saw your speech yesterday regarding the ANWR, I mean the Alaskans National Interest Lands Conservation Act. The Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act, ANILCA, was a comprehensive act designed to preserve the untamed Alaskan wilderness, native peoples, and animals for the enjoyment of all. Albeit in the early stages of development in the fall of 1979, this large, encompassing act was being boiled down to one very polarizing issue. One stipulation, falsely portrayed by the media and politicians alike, was now the rallying call for numerous protests and hotly contested discussions around the world. While ANILCA, ANILCA, created more than one 157 million acres of national parks, wildlife refuges, and wilderness areas from the federal holdings. The act also allowed for the drilling of black gold, the blood that kept the United States producing and warring. This act allowed for the drilling of oil in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, the ANWR, unconditionally. Those who opposed the greedy land grab knew ANWR was 19 million acres of extraordinary wildlife and wilderness, void of the scars of human intervention and destructiveness. Please, let's not discuss politics. The senator was impressed that Nicole could recall the name of the act rather than reducing it to its simplistic idea of drilling for oil in the Anwar, as the media had done. He used his hand to replace the lock of brown hair in its wanted place. The senator had brown eyes that Nicole determined any woman could easily get lost in, and a personality that made anyone who spoke with him feel at ease. She could see why he had earned the reputation of being the most eligible bachelor on Capitol Hill. He moved down the table to see with whom he had been switched. I'm afraid that speech is what got me invited to this dinner. The senator mentally noted the name, not wanting to cause any further embarrassment to Nicole. He simply smiled at her. Besides, he said as he moved back towards her now, if we talk politics, it'll be a very boring evening. I think that depends on which side of the issue you're on, and by the looks of it, I'd say we're outnumbered. Exactly the reason I was invited. If they persuade me to vote for this act, they feel I'll lead a rush of Democrats in their direction. I see Senator Barker is here as well. Ah, yes. If you get Barker, you definitely get all the Democrats. With me, you'll get enough for a majority. Tony returned with Nicole's drink, unhappy to find her speaking with the young, handsome senator. He arrived just as Nicole started to ask her next question. Thank you, Tony. Senator, you're not considering the possibility to allow drilling in Anwar, are you? He must have some doubts, otherwise he wouldn't be here, Nicole, Tony interrupted, smiling. On the contrary, Mr. Schaefer, I have no intention of changing my vote. I believe your attention would be better served preparing for Mr. Sipes' appearance before my committee. Wait a minute, Senator. Norm Sipes has not been subpoenaed as of yet. Yet is the key word, Mr. Schaefer. We're working on that. He winked at Tony. It was no secret that Jenkins' committee was investigating illegal price-fixing within the oil industry. Everyone in the industry was being called before the committee. 
The senator's attention was caught by Senator Barker. Excuse me, he said. When the senator was safely engaged in conversation with Senator Barker, Nicole chuckled, saying to Tony, Way to go. That wasn't any worse than what you said to Mark. Yes, but Senator Jenkins has a brain. Damn it, Nicky. I'm sorry, Tony. I forgot. You call him a friend. And he's a damn good friend. Tony tried to settle himself down before continuing. Will you do me a favor? What? Keep your mouth shut tonight? You have some influential people at your table. If you handle yourself appropriately this evening, well, you know. Nicole couldn't believe Tony couldn't finish the sentence. I'm not interested, Tony. She set her drink down on the table. And I'll always be a Democrat. Hear, hear, Senator Jenkins answered as he returned to their table. That's the kind of talk I like to hear. Nicole smiled. Tony, however, was not amused. Just try and not insult everyone. Nicole did her best imitation of a child's pout, answering, I'll try. Tony angrily moved to his table. Nicole rolled her eyes and took a seat next to the senator, who, with perfect manners, helped Nicole into her seat, then seated himself. A few minutes later, more of the guests entered the room, finding their seats. As the president and vice president entered the room, all stood. They moved to their seats along what Nicole determined was the front of the room, a long rectangular table with a podium centered on it was where the president and his honored guests were to sit. The president moved to the podium and urged everyone to be seated. As the room became silent, nearly everyone in their assigned seats, Nicole took the opportunity to scan her table. Tony was right. Besides the senator, who underestimated his influence in the Senate, and Norman Sipes, there were Donald Tripperman, a multimillionaire who had acquired his wealth through the stock market and some business ventures that Nicole hadn't really kept up with, Karen Johnson, a Republican representative from Kansas who was also on the joint committee with the senator and had her eye on Senator Davidson's seat in the Senate, and Joseph Engel, the founder of First U.S. Bank and a financier who reportedly helped Norman Sipes with financing his company in the beginning, seated next to Congresswoman Johnson. To Nicole's surprise, Senator Barker's wife was also seated at this table, and last but certainly not least, there was someone Nicole knew nothing about. He was a man in his mid-fifties, she guessed, nicely dressed in a blue herringbone suit with some very nervous and annoying traits. His sniffling alone and the nervous readjustment of his thick glasses were just two of the irritating habits he performed almost constantly. She felt like she should know him, but she just couldn't place him. The president cleared his throat and began his speech. Nicole, feeling the first hunger pangs, hoped for a short speech. She truly hoped she would be interested in what the president had to say. He started out mentioning various world political shakeups, the downturn in the economy, the inevitable fall of communism in the not-too-distant future, and the need of the world for the United States to provide strong, consistent leadership. He stated that because of these reasons, it was imperative for the United States to get its house in order. Then the president made a statement that shocked not only Nicole, but Senators Barker and Jenkins as well. The president stated that his support 
of allowing companies to drill for oil in the Alaskan National Wildlife Refuge was waning, citing that the end didn't justify the means. He felt that the short-term goals were not worth the cost. He continued saying America's only true answer to the crisis was to lose its dependence on oil, not just foreign oil. The president, aware of the disapproving looks from not only the vice president, but also every other Republican in the room, continued stating that it would be impossible for the United States to lead from strength with its own people disillusioned in its leaders. How can you ask a young man or woman to potentially sacrifice his or her life for the United States when that person has no respect for the people leading them? Many in the room felt that that statement was far from reality. Nicole even overheard the whispered cold response for Representative Johnson to her colleague at another table. They go because we send them and it's their job seemed to hang in the air. The callous comment also caught the attention of Senator Jenkins, who stared at Johnson's direction until her eyes met his. A former Navy SEAL, who had paid dearly for the freedoms enjoyed by all Americans by losing the lower portion of his right leg on a secret mission during the Vietnam War, Jenkins was angered by this frivolous, cold remark and wanted the representative to feel just how much he resented it. His contemptuous stare continued until Representative Johnson felt uneasy, maybe threatened, and squirmed in her chair. Satisfied that his unspoken point had been made, the senator turned his attention back to the president. Nicole felt as if she were in a dream. This position was so radical for the president. It was as if she, he had switched parties. Nicole glanced at Senator Barker, who was smiling, already counting a victory. She then looked at Mark Stevens, who, oddly enough, was exchanging a disparaging look with Tony. Nicole watched Mark's eyes move to Sipes and the man Nicole didn't know. Nicole casually turned her head to catch Sipes's reaction. Oddly, he smiled and gave a flippant wave of his hand. He then reached for his water glass. He glanced at the unknown man who nervously smiled, adjusted his glasses again, and turned his gaze to the president. The whole scene gave Nicole the chills, but still somehow intrigued her. After all, Norman Seitz had the most to lose by this legislation. She finally shrugged it off, realizing she never would figure out the three of them, and had no real desire to try. She hadn't realized she was staring at Sipes until suddenly her stomach rumbled, catching Senator Jenkins' attention. Excuse me, Nicole said, once again embarrassed. That's quite all right. The senator reached into his coat pocket. Here, this should help. Smiling, he produced and handed her a peppermint. I always come prepared. You just never know how long he's going to talk. Nicole smiled. Thank you, she told the senator, popping the mint into her mouth. She leaned closer to the senator and, he, and whispered, Isn't this a surprise? It certainly is. Dinner will be very interesting, he replied. Jenkins caught the scent of Nicole's perfume, finding the aroma very pleasing. They both turned their attention back to the president, who continued to belabor the point. Nicole kept a continual watch on certain influential Republicans, monitoring their responses. The overwhelming reaction was anger and irritation. 
The senator was right. Dinner was going to be very interesting. After another 15 minutes, the president, satisfied that he had emphasized all the points, ended with, and for these reasons, but most important of these reasons, that the United States should lead the world in alternative fuel development, I shall veto the Alaskan National Interest Lands Conservation Act when it reaches my desk if the provision to drill with reckless abandon in the Anwar is still attached. With that, he called for everyone to enjoy their dinner and sat down next to his wife, who smiled approvingly at her husband. The room was quiet until Nicole started to clap. Others joined her in an unenthusiastic and polite round of applause. Nicole watched as Congresswoman Johnson stared disapprovingly at Senator Jenkins. The senator, not willing to start yet another one of their countless arguments, remained calm and tried to start a pleasant conversation with Nicole. How long have you been practicing law, Miss Charbonneau? Please call me Nikki, she interjected. For about eleven years now. All with Rosen, Schaefer, and Pruitt. No, I was with the United States Attorney's Office for about three and a half years. The rest have been with Rosen, Schaefer, and Pruitt. The representative from Kansas couldn't stand it any longer. Tell me, Senator, how did you do it? She placed a very unpleasant emphasis on the word did. What did I do, Congresswoman? The Senator asked calmly. Convince the President that this act will absolutely destroy the country when you know it, that it will decrease U.S. dependency on foreign oil. It is inconceivable to me that you and Senator Barker can't see that. Once again, you and the rest of the Democrats intend on hurting the many by protecting the few. Nicole wanted desperately to answer the Congresswoman, but decided against it. The last thing she wanted was to be part of a political debate with Senator Jenkins at the table. Besides, she had seen him in action enough to know he could handle this himself. The senator simply smiled and decided to try to defuse the situation. Ms. Johnson, I fear you give me far too much credit. The president arrived at this decision himself. I'm sure t I'm sorry to say we Democrats had nothing to do with it. Besides, this isn't the proper place to discuss it. The senator tried to return to his conversation with Nicole, but was interrupted in mid-sentence. On the contrary, Senator, Sipes chimed in. I'd like to hear your answer. After all, I counted at least six references to me in that speech. Joseph Engel shot a nervous look at Sipes, of which Nicole caught only a glimpse. I think we all felt we were referenced, Norm, he added, trying to gain support. A few heads nodded in agreement. Nicole couldn't resist a good fight and wanted it clear her, that her support, even though it could be for a losing effort, was with Senator Jenkins. I'm sorry, Mr. Engel, I have to disagree. I don't feel I was refer referenced at all in the President's speech. Well, you're just a lawyer, Engel chuckled. And good at defending assholes like you from being thrown in jail, Nicole thought to herself. Let's not get away from the initial question, Senator, Sipes said to Jenkins. I hate to disappoint all of you, but I really had nothing to do with it, the Senator answered. Come on, Senator, Tipperman started. Are you trying to tell us that that stirring speech you gave yesterday was written without any collaboration with the Oval Office? You flatter me, Mr. Tipperman. Yes, it was. As a matter of fact, I wrote that speech myself. My aides were busy researching other issues. Jenkins shot an accusing look at Norman Sipes. 
Senator, a majority of the points you made in your speech were also in the president's speech, Congresswoman Johnson charged. Maybe he was watching C-SPAN, Nicole chimed in, trying to ease the growing tension. The attempt failed, even though Mrs. Barker and Senator Jenkins laughed. Mrs. Barker gave a pleasant chuckle before clearing her throat. She was beginning to take a liking to Nicole. The senator added a quick comment after Mrs. Barker's cl- cleared her throat. He was still smiling at the remark when he said, quite possibly. Oh, please, Johnson replied, annoyed. What do you take us for, Miss Charbonneau, a bunch of idiots? Nicole had all she could do to keep from answering in the affirmative to that question. It struck Nicole as odd that the congresswoman reacted the way she had to Nicole's statement. In any case, Nicole wasn't about to pass up a golden opportunity to insult a politician. Well, Congresswoman, when someone discounts the effects of certain legislation on the majority of indigenous people who live there, I can only assume that they are either ignorant or incompetent. The Congresswoman at first wasn't sure if Nicole had insulted her or the Senator. Nicole, aware of this, decided to make it very clear. The Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act serves only those interested in oil and does very little to provide refuge to a way of life. While setting aside a rather large amount of land for parks and refuge, the gains of allowing companies to drill for oil unconditionally does nothing for the people who live off that land except destroy their very existence. It allows for drilling before surveys can be conducted to determine if the amount of oil is of sufficient quality to warrant the cost of excavation. That cost being not only the cost to the companies who will want to drill, but its effect on the D2 lands, which were lands withdrawn from a previous act by the Department of Interior and designated for development. These D2 lands have a greater degree of ecological diversity than any other similar-sized area of Alaska's North Slope. I'm not even mentioning the effect this would have on the Native people that have lived there for generations. In the meantime, the world's economy is lulled into believing that the U.S.'s dependence on foreign oil is relieved, only to quite possibly discover in the few years that dependence never disappeared as promised. The economic repercussions could be devastating for a mere tap dance of so-called relief. Focusing our efforts on long-term answers is the only true way to lessen America's dependence. Nicole felt a need to add while looking at Norman Sipes. And the more this is done by companies not already involved in the current production of oil, the better. That is precisely why I am in the process of writing an amendment to that in that regard, the senator finished. He was impressed by Nicole's knowledge of the act. Not bad for an attorney, the senator added, looking at Engel, who cringed. Representative Johnson and Sipes were not pleased with this turn of events. Johnson was so mad, she couldn't think of a response to, Nick Le- to Nicole quickly enough. Nikki, is Tony aware of your politics? Sipe asked. Yes, painfully aware, Mr. Sipes. <laughs> she smiled as she answered. The center smiled at Nicole's remark. Mr. Sipes, I'm curious. Why do you feel you were singled out by the president's remarks? Nicole's comments had shifted the momentum and allowed him to focus on Sipes's comments. Not just me, Senator. As Mr. Engel pointed out, we all did. And as Ms. Charbonneau pointed out, not all of us felt that way. 
the senator countered. Little beads of sweat began to appear on Norm's forehead as the two men were locked in a stare-down. By pursuing this, the senator put Nicole in a precarious situation. Sipes was the client of the firm for which she had, she worked. Although she had no intention of ever representing him, she felt she had to intercede. But she needed to, to determine how to do this without compromising her previous position. Either you can answer that question here or in front of my committee, Mr. Sipes, the senator prodded. I was probably overreacting. It was a big surprise, Sipe answered, taking a drink of his whiskey. To what were you overreacting? The president was making general statements. If you overreacted to general statements, then I'd have to assume you have a guilty conscience. Am I to assume that perhaps your company is already doing what might now be prohibited by this act? Johnson continued to s his stare into Sipes's eyes. Nicole was relieved to see their dinner arriving. Mrs. Barker, who noticed the tension at the table, tried her best to end it. Dinner is served. Senator, couldn't this wait? The waiters swarmed around the table and were gone in a matter of minutes. Almost everyone started picking up their silverware to cut into the grill-marinated chicken breast. No, Mrs. Barker, I'm afraid it can't wait. Mr. Sipes, I would like an answer. Nicole was about to place a long-awaited forkful of food into her mouth when Sipes slammed his fist on the table. Nicole, startled, accidentally dropped her fork as she inadvertently jumped at the loud noise. Water lapped at the sides of the glasses holding it, and the silverware jiggled, landing slightly askew. Damn it! Sipes' booming voice caught everyone's attention at the surrounding tables, including Tony's. I am not on trial, Jenkins! I know what you're trying to do. I'll be damned if I'll answer your stupid questions here or in front of your pathetic little committee. The room was quiet. Mrs. Sipes, I'm merely asking what you found offensive or accusatory in the president's remark. Jenkins continued to stare at Sipes. Sipes looked at Nicole for help. Nicole returned to her food, vowing to herself to keep out of this argument. Tony was aware that Sipes was treading on thin ice. Nicole, however didn't want to give the impression that she was willing to defend him. I believe, Sipes started, trying to keep his temper in check, that the president's remarks were offensive to anyone whose business is oil. Did you find the president's remarks offensive, Mr. Mandemirk? The senator asked the owner of one of the biggest oil producers in the world, who was seated at the table nearby. Jenkins placed a fork full of food in his mouth while he waited for the answer. Surprising would be a better word, Mr. Vandermerk replied, very uncomfortable at being drawn into the public conversation. Trying to deflect the conversation away from his table and back to Jenkins's table, he added, Wouldn't you agree, Mr. Jeffries? Michael Jeffries! Nicole had heard the name before, but never had seen him. Jeffries was a director of the FBI. It is very surprising, Jeffries answered in an annoying voice. Nicole almost wanted to shudder at the sound. So that leaves you as the only one being offended, Mr. Sipes, Senator Jenkins stated. Offended? Tony questioned, now standing beside Nicole's chair. He tried to give an unconcerned chuckle. <laughs> he's, a, he's the only one in this entire room that is offended? Yes, Mr. Schaefer. The senator turned to face Tony. It seems Mr. Sipes feels the president referred to him at least six times in his speech tonight. 
I was merely asking why he felt that way. Tony studied the senator carefully. Although his blood pressure nearly doubled, he outwardly remained calm. He couldn't believe that Sipes, in a matter of seconds, had destroyed the many months of work he had performed to keep the subpoenas at bay. Tony had called in a number of favors to keep Sipes from appearing before the senator's committee. I'm sure you misunderstood him, Senator. No, I don't believe so. Nikki? Tony questioned, hoping she would be a team player and back up her superior. Nikki couldn't believe Tony. It was not only a slap in the senator's face, but an insult to her as well. Now she had a choice to make. She decided to face Tony's anger, rather than have the senator think she was a patsy. The senator didn't misunderstand him, Tony. Nicole could see Tony's anger grow another degree. I'm sorry. Don't apologize for speaking the truth, Nikki. The senator tried to console her. I'm afraid I've ruined everyone's dinner. If you all will excuse me, I will take my leave. The senator pushed himself away from the table and got up, dropping his napkin in the vacant chair, turning to Tony. Good evening, Mr. Schaefer. He turned to look at Norman Sipes. Mr. Sipes, you'll have my subpoena in the morning. Nicole sat back, dreading the ride home. She glanced around the table. All eyes were shifting between Tony and Sipes, everyone except Mrs. Barker's. She was looking at Nicole. She smiled with when their eyes met, as if to say, well done. Nicole smiled back briefly. I think we better call it a night, Nikki. Nicole didn't answer Tony. She stood, bidding her dinner companions farewell, and exited the room with Tony. Sipes followed them into the foyer. I want her fired! Sipes yelled in the foyer. That won't solve anything, Tony answered dismissively. What are you going to do? Me? Tony questioned. Sipes, I'm getting sick and tired of defending your fucking ass, especially when you're so liquored up you have no fucking idea what you're saying. I'm half tempted to let you appear in front of Jenkins's committee. Tony, you know I can't do that. I think I'll wait for you outside, Tony, Nicole interrupted. I really don't want to know anything about this. Oh, sure. Screw right on out of here, you little slut. You had the chance to keep this from happening, Sipes said to her. Nicole smiled at Sipes, withholding her response, only to let him guess at what she wanted to say. She simply turned to walk out the door. Tony quickly came to her defense. That's enough, Sipes. I've told you every time you've asked, she doesn't want to represent you, and she certainly isn't going to fuck you, so knock it off. As for what I'm going to do, I don't... No. Tony readjusted his tux jacket, and he brushed off some lint in an attempt to settle himself. Then he said in a calmer, lower voice, I've just about run out of favors. He turned and walked outside to wait for the limousine with Nicole. The ride home wasn't as bad as Nicole had anticipated. She got the usual speech of how she should be a team player, after which she reminded Tony that she had told him years ago that she would never lie to protect one of his slimy clients, as far as she was concerned, Norman Sipes fell into that category. After that, nothing more was said between them. As they arrived at Nicole's condo, she bade him a rather cold good night in the car and retired to her condo, alone, with her mind at peace and her reputation intact. That was much more important to her than representing scum and even the six-figure salary she was earning at Rosen, Schaefer, and Pruitt.
This concludes Day 1, Part 2, Washington, D.C. Next up will be Day 1, Part 3, London, England, where you'll meet Charlie Dawson, who is Sean Atkins, a superior. Thank you so much for listening. You can purchase your paperback or Kindle version of Blind Influence on Amazon. Autographed copies of the book can be ordered at lindafissler.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-F-I-S as in Sam, L-E-R dot com. Thanks again for listening. I hope that you are enjoying these author reads. Please pass them on to friends to enjoy as well. Thank you.